Morning, good to see you. Great to be here. This is Richard Scarry's What Do People Do All Day? And my dad gave me this for Christmas when I was two. And um, it tells us all about the people of Busy Town and what they do all day. And there are a number of jobs remarkably similar to the human world in that there are people who drive trains and there are firemen and there's a hospital where there are doctors and nurses and all sorts of things like that. And there's a policeman and um, various jobs that I suppose when Richard Scarry wrote this book he thought maybe the people reading it will then do one day later on or maybe as little kids they'll read it and think I want to do that job uh, one day. Um, There's a ship's painter here uh, for example so maybe that would inspire you and I think he was quite an engineer Richard Scarry because I learned more about um, things like wind turbines and all that kind of stuff from here than I did from any of my GCSE science or anything like that. Look here's an electric power plant Here's how an electric power plant works, with an electric generator and a turbine and a pump and a boiler and a boiler, in fact, and there's a man, well, there's a bear, in fact, working in there, Um, (laughs) and so on and so forth. Um, And so there's loads and loads of jobs in here, and I I guess, as I say, the point was to inspire people. Maybe Monday I'd work as a bear being a taxi driver in Busy Town or something like that. There's no church in Busy Town. And so there's no one working for the church in Busy Town. And so there's, there's no church leaders or anything like that there. Um, and so that wasn't there to inspire me uh, when I was two and uh, reading what people did all day. I mean, that was fine because I had absolutely no uh, knowledge that that would be what God had planned uh, for my life at that time um, and didn't for many years later. But it wasn't there. But still, even now, when I kind of say that that's my job, I think the question people ask is, well, what do you do all day? What does that mean? And I have to describe it in different ways to different people because, well, people don't know what we're talking about. So here we've described my role and that of Dan and Matthew as well. We are the elders of the church. And people say, well, okay, what does that mean? That's not a word I use in any other context apart from to describe someone who's older and that doesn't seem to be exactly what you're saying. So what does it mean? And so I change my answer according to who I'm speaking to. If I'm speaking to someone who's, um, who's, who's not a Christian, not part of a church, so the guy who's cutting my hair, he says, what do you do? I say, oh, I'm a church leader. Because leader is a phrase that people kind of can comprehend and think, okay, well, you're leading some people. And there's some truth in that. Um, if I'm speaking to, um, maybe if I'm speaking to a Christian from another type of church, I'd probably say I'm a pastor because that's a general term that most kind of Christians would understand. I wouldn't, if I was speaking to someone from the Church of Scotland, say that I'm an elder, because an elder in the Church of Scotland is quite a different thing from an elder um, in this church. And, um, and so on and so forth it goes. And, and then applying for car insurance is really tricky, <laughs> because according to the car insurance people, they just, sometimes my job just is not there at all. I've, uh, and so... If, you have, if they have a religious section, I'm like, okay, great, that's good, that'll probably do, there'll be something in there. Uh, I've, been in a, I've been a reverend occasionally, which I'm pretty sure I'm not. Um, <laughs> but other times, I just have to be a little bit more creative. It's like, it's like, well, there's no church worker here at all in any way. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in education, in a manner of speaking, and I mean, construction in a way, we're trying to build a church here. And, <laughs> And so it really just depends who gives me the cheapest premium at that point, but of course it doesn't. Um, But Peter wants to talk to us today um, from this passage that we're going to read about 
church leadership, church eldership, church overseers, church shepherds. And I want to show you that that is all one and the same thing. And I want to talk to you not only about that as terms of how and why we lead the church as we do, uh, but why this is part of how God gives us a living hope. This is not just going to be a, this is curious how Kings does things. This is about the living hope that God has got for us. And so uh, we're going to bring these two things together. We're going to read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. We're going to read the first five verses and then a couple more uh, just after that. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then just a couple of lines uh, later on that Karen dealt with us so, for so well last week. Peter says in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the context of this passage, when you read in 1 Peter 4, and actually you read through the whole thing, is that Peter's writing to a, a group of Christians in a whole region, so there'll have been several churches that he's writing to, and they are under pressure, they are under attack in various ways. To be a Christian in the Roman Empire was to get yourself in trouble, they were experiencing that, and so Peter writes to them, and he wants to encourage them, and he wants to challenge them, and he wants to give them a living hope. And so one of the ways in which he wants to do that is he wants them to be clear about leadership in the church, what it should do and uh, what it means. And to help with this, he gives us a cast of characters. He kind of, in these few verses, describes a scene for us, and we're going to scroll through them on the screen. We start with him speaking to shepherds. There are a couple of Middle Eastern shepherds. And uh, those, he, he calls them elders, overseers, and shepherds, all talking clearly about the same group of people. Now, the first people in the scene, and then next in the scene, he refers to the flock, the sheep. After that, he talks about the chief shepherd. And that's just about the best picture of Jesus being the good shepherd that I could find out of all the fairly terrible options that there are on the internet. Um, And then he talks about our our enemy, uh, the evil lion, the wicked lion, uh, the devil. And and so he's painting uh, a picture for us. He's showing us a scene saying, these aren't all the characters in the world, of course not, but he's saying, this, guys, is what I want you to imagine when you're thinking about church and when you think about leadership and the reality that you are in. Now, of all of these roles, I'm going to focus on the role of the shepherd because uh, that's what we're homing in on uh, today, and I want to explain that. But I, I want you to keep that, uh, that whole cast of characters in your mind. And so that's what we're going to look at. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been around Christianity for any period of time, you'll have heard the phrase shepherd here and there uh, once in a while. It, it, it's, it's common currency, really, 
within Christianity. But for the most of 21st century culture here in Edinburgh, um, shepherds aren't things that we know a huge amount unless we like their pies. And that's basically all that we would have to do with shepherds. There's one person here uh, who works with sheep, but for the rest of us, it's a bit of a mystery. In the ancient Near East, when this, uh, when this uh, Bible was being written, it would have been well understood uh, what shepherds were and what they did. And shepherding is a key biblical metaphor. It's really helpful for us to understand a whole load of things about God and about us. Sheep were an essential element of ancient economies. If you had sheep, you had a source of food, and you also had a source of income because you could uh, sell their wool, uh, you could sell their hides, you could sell their young, you could sell their meat. And so long as you kept producing more of them, uh, your wealth would grow. And because sheep aren't like, they're a source of wealth in that culture, but they're not static. It's not like having a lot of gold. If you have gold, you've just got to basically keep people away from it, and it's fine. You've got it. But sheep are a much more difficult um, uh, source of wealth to have because they move around a lot. They cause a lot of problems, all sorts of things. And so it became um, an easy way to understand, actually, kingship and ruling in that culture was to think of it. The king would think of himself as a shepherd. And once you start to understand what shepherding is in that culture, you see how that makes a lot of sense. Because shepherds have to be very brave. They have to be defenders of the flock. When something attacks the flock, as things often would do, it's the shepherd's job. The shepherd has no police to call. Uh, He has uh, no no one else to involve. The sheep are his to look after. Uh, So when either thieves attack or wild beasts, maybe even an evil lion, the shepherd can't be like, well, I wonder who's going to deal with this. The shepherd's like, this is my job. I'm here to deal with it. And so shepherds would carry either cudgels, or I guess if they were particularly wealthy, they might even have swords or something like that. When an attacker came, the shepherd had to deal with it. So to be a shepherd is to be brave and to be strong and to be, um, I guess, fighting for those that you are looking after. However, at the same time, a shepherd has to be very caring. Uh, Sheep, obviously, they live outside and they're quite resilient in that way, but they can also be very fragile. And uh, particularly around lambing season, obviously, they need a lot of care. Uh, But things can happen to sheep all the time uh, that make them vulnerable, make them ill, make them sick, get them in trouble. And a shepherd has to have his eyes out for that and has to be uh, searching out, how's that sheep doing? How are they? How are they? How are they? They need to be able to see all of them and know all of them because they have to care for all of them. A shepherd needed to know where there was good land. Sheep graze on good land. And so you have to know where it is, and you have to know where the good water is for them to drink as well. And then you also have to know how to get the sheep from here to there, which is obviously a significant skill in itself as well. And so that all of these considerations are in the mind of a shepherd, and so it's understandable, therefore, that they would be in the mind of a king at that time, a ruler of people, and think, I mean, that's pretty similar to what I do. And so shepherding becomes a metaphor for kingship. And actually, a a king's scepter, even now, a a ruler, our queen, has a scepter. I mean, hers is just a fairly kind of short stick. But it's thought that that originated from a shepherd's crook. And it just became smaller and smaller and more and more golden as the years uh, went on. But certainly we see Egyptian pharaohs, they carry a shepherd's crook as a symbol, not that they've got a load of sheep, but that they're a king and that they're a ruler. And so this metaphor is uh, prevalent in uh, the ancient Near East. And so when the Bible's being written, it comes to mind uh, for those who are writing the Bible. Obviously, it makes a lot of sense. And so the leaders of God's people are often referred to and understood as shepherds. 
And so Moses, a famous leader of God's people, is called a shepherd. David, the king, is called a shepherd as well. But the thing with these guys is, although they have responsibility for the sheep, the sheep don't exactly belong to them. Often when you're a ruler, you're like, well, these people are mine. But the Old Testament rulers couldn't quite say that. They could say, I've got responsibility for these sheep, but they couldn't say, and all these sheep, therefore, are mine. So in Psalm 77, the people say to God, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so Moses is called a shepherd, but also the sheep aren't really his. The same goes for David. David is told, you were appointed by God to be the shepherd of his sheep. So these guys, they they aren't autonomous. Their authority isn't in and of themselves. They've been given something, they've been given a role to, uh, to perform by God. And so David, the king, who everyone would say, well, there's our shepherd. When David writes a psalm about shepherding, who does he credit as being the shepherd? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say, I'm the shepherd, you guys won't be in want. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Israel were never meant to trust in men, ultimately. They were always meant to put their trust in God and to understand that he was their shepherd. He cared for them, he loved them, he protected them, he led them as a shepherd does. And so we get this in Isaiah 40, uh, for example. Now you hear the first bit, you think, man, this sounds like fighting talk. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Pretty strong, pretty confident, bold, fighting. And then he says this, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And this is something that the shepherd picture does so wonderfully. It shows not only God's strength, but his care. Not only his might, but his mercy. And usually we either emphasise one or the other of those two things. We think, oh, God's really lovely, really kind and really nice, essentially. And then we read things in the Bible and we think, well, that's not particularly nice in and of itself. How do I understand that? Well, that's because God is also really mighty. But then there are a whole bunch of people who just think of God as being really mighty and angry and fierce and all these kind of things. And he is those in some ways. But he is also full of mercy. And the shepherd picture brings those two things together and really helps us to understand God and understand who he is and how he will treat us, how he will relate to us. He is strong. There's no one stronger than God. But he's also caring. There's no one who cares for us like God can care for us. And so this picture is in the Bible for us to understand the love and the strength of God. And there will be times where you feel just, you feel kind of hopeless, feel uh, confused, you feel weak and in trouble. And what you need to hear at that point is that there is a mighty shepherd who cares for you, who is carrying a rod and a staff. Uh, Psalm 23 says, he is on the attack when you are under attack. Sometimes that's what you need to hear. Other times you realize, I've been such an idiot. I've been, I've been an absolute fool. I've wandered off my own way. And the Bible says, well, the good shepherd goes and finds you. And even when you've caught yourself up in a whole load of mess, he doesn't say, well, that's it for you. He takes hold of you and he brings you back into the fold. This is the gracious love of God for you. This is his amazing care 
for you, that he would do and be all of these things for us. So Israel's rulers were under shepherds. There's, there's God as the one who owns everything and to whom everyone belongs. And then he gives this authority to others to rule on his behalf. They were stewards of God's flock. And that meant that when they didn't do the job that he wanted them to do, he would take them to task. They weren't able to be, do whatever they felt like doing. They had been given a job by God to do. Ezekiel 34, for example, talks about, this is God speaking uh, to the shepherds of Israel who have failed to lead and love and care and protect God's people as they should. And it, it kind of it serves as both an indictment of them and a description of what under-shepherds were supposed to do. God says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, oh, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. So that tells us what a shepherd should do and what those shepherds were not doing and the consequences of that for God's people, which were disastrous. But the great news is that God resolves himself to again be the shepherd of his people. He says, I will search them out. I will find them. I will bring them back in and I will keep them safe. But that doesn't mean that he stops having under-shepherds. So he says in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, I will, um, says, I will get for you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so ultimately this picture of shepherding is of God himself, but he also wants people to shepherd on his behalf. So that's the Old Testament understanding of shepherding. And so you have to understand that all of this is in people's heads when Jesus turns up on the scene and says, I am the good shepherd. Now, we, when we read Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, we think, oh, what a lovely metaphor. Oh, that's so nice. That must mean, I mean, he's looking after people and things like that. That's like, oh, and strong too, good, fine. It is that, but it's so much more than that. Because when God has said that he is the good shepherd, and when God has said that he is going to bring people back to him, and then when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what is Jesus saying? He's not just saying he's the good shepherd. He is saying he's God. I find it baffling the number of times people say, Jesus never said he was God, you know. You're like, well, I mean, if you don't understand anything he says, I understand why you would say that. Jesus says he's God all the time. This is one of those things. You are speaking to a culture in symbols that they hear and understand very, very clearly. It's like, uh, you know, back in the EU uh, vote, if you saw someone walking in covered in Union Jacks and singing Rule Britannia, you wouldn't say, but I mean, they haven't told me who they're voting for. <laughs> you know, because there are symbols and what they mean. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying something that his original hearers understood very clearly. And that's why, actually, when he says this in John 10, they are very soon saying, let's stone him because a man ought not to say this. 
But Jesus shows actually God's love and his shepherding is so complete that he has come for us. He has come to rescue his flock. He tells a story that we're familiar with of the 99 sheep being safe, but one, we don't know where it is. And so what does this shepherd do? What does a God shepherd do? He doesn't say, well, 99% is pretty good. He says, I've got to go and find the one. I've got to go out there. I've got to get them. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And Jesus does that knowing that the cost of that is not simply a day inconvenienced, as it would be for the shepherd. Like, what did you do today? Oh, you had to wander all over the place to find that sheep. Jesus doesn't wander all over the place. Jesus goes directly to the cross. And he gives up his life for the sheep. That's the good shepherd. That's who the good shepherd is, and that is what the good shepherd does. Peter knew all this. Peter was with him. Uh, when he did that, Peter heard Jesus use these metaphors. And so he says in chapter 2 of this letter, he talks about Jesus, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's what Jesus has done. And that's what he's doing right now. And he now appoints others to be shepherds for him. And Peter famously was the first to experience that for himself. Peter had uh, abandoned Jesus when Jesus was arrested. Uh, Peter kind of uh, just denied that he even knew uh, Jesus. He, he basically reckoned he'd blown it. And so Peter goes back to being a fisherman. And um, Jesus eventually finds him and says, no, Peter, do you love me? And he's restoring Peter. He says it three times in the same way that Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus. And Peter says, yes, I do love you, I do love you. And each time, Jesus replies with this metaphor. He says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter is commissioned to care for God's people. And Peter isn't unique in that. Because as the New Testament Christians go all over the place and they establish churches of believers everywhere they go, those are new communities being formed and each one of those communities needs their own shepherds. It's not that Peter is the shepherd. Peter understands that. He's speaking in this letter, he says, to the shepherds where you are. That's your job. I'm a shepherd over here. You're a shepherd here. Paul says the same to the Ephesian elders. He says to them, take care of the sheep that you've been entrusted with. And so this is the New Testament pattern of leadership, that Jesus leads over all and that he then appoints under shepherds to steward his flock. And this is great news. Great news for Christians today. Are you cared? Does God love you? Is he around? Yes, he cares for you. He is your shepherd. And he appoints shepherds to be with you and to look after you now. How does this relate to the living hope? I've said this is about living a life of hope. Well, this seems quite a pragmatic right now situation. God is caring for you right now. He is a shepherd and he gives you shepherds. Well, Psalm 23 starts, The Lord's my shepherd. And it ends, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because what the shepherd does is he takes his flock to be with him. And so when Peter talks about shepherding, he's saying this is a sign of God's care that is present for you right now and is going to last forever. And when he talks about the flock being taken from one place to another, the another that they are being taken to is the dwelling of God. And Peter references it several times, even in the passage we started with. He says, it's going to happen. God is bringing you to that place. So even the appointment of church leadership is a sign of God's care for the present, but also eternity to come.
So how should we define and therefore receive eldership? Because you could be like, well, this is fine, but there are three elders here. You're talking to me all about eldership, but I mean, what do we do? Well, let's, it's important that everyone understands how God calls and what he calls them to do and how he calls them to be. The New Testament uses several terms interchangeably and actually kind of to, to give us a full picture of what church leadership is. It uses the word leader occasionally, uh, but it uses three other terms a lot more. Peter used the three of them in the passage we read. It says in the first two verses, he says, I exhort the elders. Then he says to them, shepherd the flock. And later on he says, exercise oversight. And all of these words mean something about church leadership. So he, elder, which obviously the implication of that elder, older, kind of makes sense. The elders were those who were head of households, and so obviously generally they would tend to be older. There'd be that sense of uh, wisdom and experience uh, with them as well. The term overseer, which can sound to us a little bit like supervisor, and like just someone who's trying to make sure that everything does it, actually it's more of a watchman kind of a word that clearly has that implication of knowing what's going on, seeing what's going on. And then there's the word shepherd that we've just spent some time thinking about and understanding. And the sense of protection, provision, care, guidance, presence. And the word pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. And so that's why you see that there. or used sometimes as well. So all of these terms are to be in our head when we understand uh, church leadership according to the Bible. It's been summarised elsewhere in a simple word that more people would understand now as guardian. And there's a lot that uh, can be said for that when you think about all those roles as a, as a protective role in that, a preventative role. But also we've got to feel like it's not just a keeping you safe now, it is a bringing you to God. So all of these terms, and you, when you see them in the New Testament, you see them, they're just used often all together. They describe a single role, but this isn't a role to be done by one person by themselves. All the New Testament uh, texts that we see uh, frequently reference teams of elders in the different churches. And so that's what we have here at King's. There's three of us at the moment, and uh, we hope eventually there'll be some more of us because we want the church to grow, and eldership capacity is a key part of that. So what does Peter say about elders then in terms of their attitude and in terms of what they, uh, what they do is kind of implied by all that we've seen in terms of shepherding, but how should they uh, think and act and, and how should people receive them? Well, Peter gives us three contrasts to help work this out. Uh, he says, firstly, elders are to lead willingly, not under compulsion. And that's the contrast. And, and so he wants it to be a free choice. Those who are elders should be like, yes, this is what I, I, I'm really happy to do that. It was the um, football transfer deadline day this week when lots of uh, footballers are signed for lots of different clubs. And it's really interesting. You see some footballers who are really happy about it. And they, there's always a photo shoot and usually they're holding a shirt and that's the kind of standard trope. And sometimes you see a footballer and they're like, I'm gonna play for this team. And they're going to pay me so much money, and it's amazing. And you see other footballers being like, <laughs> so it's these guys. And it's just really funny. I mean, obviously, they're not trained to smile, and that's not their, their, their job. But it's, Peter's really clear. This is not a, okay, it's these guys thing. This is a, wow, I get to lead in this way. And that feeds into his second pairing. He says they're to be eager, not motivated by shameful gain. They're to be passionate about serving in this way. They want to do it. They're like, just let me do that. Please, I want to serve. I love those people. I want to help them in this way. Shameful gain uh, that P 
Peter talks about isn't saying that being paid to be a, a church leader is bad. It's not. Jesus and Paul both say it's fine. But what is bad is being in it for the money. And Peter's saying, if, that, if that's your motivation, you cannot be an elder. And then the third thing he says is to be leading by an example, not by domineering. You don't lead by shouting at people. You don't lead by saying, I'm in charge. You don't uh, lead by politics or personality pressure or anything like that. You lead as Jesus led. And Peter will have remembered Jesus saying, because Peter was in the arguments when they were discussing how they could dominate each other. Jesus said, that's not how you live. That's not how we live. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. It's in Matthew 20. That word, lord it over, is the same word that Peter uses when he says domineering in his letter. So I'm sure in Peter's head, he's remembering hearing this from Jesus. The rules of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is sacrificial, servant-hearted leadership. And that is how leaders are meant to lead. Now, often in our heads, we separate those two things slightly. We think, well, you're either really sacrificial, in which case you say, do what you like, or you're really authoritarian, you say, do what I tell you. And Jesus shows us perfectly how to hold those two things together. Because no one ever had as much authority as Jesus. Never seen anyone so strong in his authority, and yet leads as a servant, gives himself, sacrifices himself. And so that's how we're to hold those things together. And the shepherding metaphor helps us with that. This isn't an option for an elder. You can't be like, well, they've got some good skills. I think they can really make some things happen. But to be honest, I mean, their character's all over the place. Well, that's the end of it. Because you lead by example. And you are to be living an imitatable life. Paul says to the Corinthians, says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's the pattern that we're meant uh, to live by. And so elders are appointed in consultation with apostolic ministries. That's Dave Holden and New Ground uh, for us. But in conversation with the church as well, we say this is what we're looking for in an elders. And, and certainly a few years ago when that was uh, me, uh, everyone in the church was invited to look at these criteria and say, does he fit that? Is he like that? And so we have a conversation and apostolic comes in and we work it through and work it out together. And now we meet as elders, the three of us, and within our meetings we've a lot of what we're doing can be explained by this, this shepherding metaphor and the things that we've talked about. We do, I mean, a whole bunch of different things. We worship and pray. We prophesy as well. We want to hear God as we're meeting together. We don't just have a to-do list. Uh, we have uh, our great shepherd who we're following, and we want to hear from him. We'll share news about ourselves and how we're doing. We're taking care of each other so that we will take care of everyone else. There are pastoral issues, people in need of help and care and um, there are reports on the areas that we're responsible for. We don't do everything. We ensure everything gets done. And so we have oversight, and we have different areas that different ones of us are responsible for. And so we share how that's going and uh, look about uh, how that's going to go forward. There are always decisions uh, that need to be made. Uh, there are new ideas to be discussed, some of them coming from ourselves, others, many of them coming from uh, the rest of the church. People say, how about this? Can we do this? What do you think about that? And so we'll discuss these things as we work out what is God calling us to do. 
We'll share things that we've been learning. We'll be reading different books, uh, going to different conferences, um, uh, just kind of meeting with people um, and, and learning. And we're sharing that and bringing that all uh, together. We get input from loads of different people. This week, we've got Dave Holden coming up with us for a couple of days. And uh, we're inviting him in and saying, speak to us. Uh, we do that with other church leaders. And we do that with other people from the church as well. We're like, we want to know what's going on. We want to know what we should do here. We want to hear your heart on this issue. And then we bring all our different uh, personalities and uh, giftings uh, together into this mix. And that's why we just think it's ridiculous to think that one person could do that. So we think the breadth of what needs to be done. It's just impossible. But in a team that's in harmony, it works really, really well. And we do that together. And so that's how we understand uh, biblical eldership. There's a whole lot more than can be said about that. And I'm writing a paper about that at the moment. So later I'll give you a full thing on it. But this is the picture for us to understand leadership as we understand God's leadership of us overall. How do we then receive that as a church? Well, Peter just says it pretty simply. He says, we'll be subject to the elders. And that's when a lot of people are like, beg your pardon? Peter says, these guys are here for your good. And they're imitating Christ and they're doing what he's asked them to do. And so your role is to, is to trust God in that and to follow them in that. He uses the phrase younger. I think that's just in a contrast to elder because um, uh, it's clearly a sense of it's the rest of the flock who God is speaking to. All of us are governed by God's word. So there's no way an elder can say, I think we should do this. And you're like, well, the Bible says something really different. Yeah, but I'm the elder. It doesn't work like that. All of us have a chief shepherd who we submit to and subject ourselves to. And that's for all of us to do. And so you you submit to godly authority in as much as it is in line with what God has said. We don't make decisions by voting. That's not how we do things. But we have conversations and we talk things through and we listen and when we don't say everything is a command, usually it's an invitation. It's like, look, this will be great. Let's look at this. I think this could do you really good. Sometimes a shepherd needs to say, this is going to kill you if you keep doing it. That's also part of a shepherding role. And the role, therefore, as church members is to uh, receive that and hear God in it. Someone said, Christian submission to authority is never servile, and Christian exercise of authority is never authoritarian. Obviously, we're all familiar with uh, church leadership being abused. Uh, a good thing being done badly doesn't make it a bad thing. It just means it needs to be done right. And that's something that we try really, really hard uh, to do. And obviously, we're accountable to, uh, to Dave and others uh, in that. And therefore, that's why we have conversations and we're not like, we've got it all together, but we're doing our best. And Peter gives a solution to that. He says, these are the characteristics of you, shepherds. You are to be those who are giving yourselves, those who are serving, those who are sacrificial. And then he says to all of us, clothe yourselves with humility. Everyone. If you're an arrogant leader or an arrogant member, you face God's opposition. So that's true for all of us. And so we all hold into that. Okay, Lord, let, let me know who I am and who you are more importantly and how I'm to respond to you. So we're going to kind of wrap it up there. It's a sense, I just hope you see it, you're like, well, that makes sense, a bit more sense of how church is to be and what leaders are called to do. But also, really importantly, the hope that you have, the hope that we have, 
We have not been abandoned. We are not uncared for. We have a great shepherd. The shepherd, the great shepherd of our souls, I think Hebrews describes him as. He loves us and he cares for us. He's given his life for us and he will lead us home to him. And so we're to believe him in that and follow him in that and trust in all that his provision that he's given us. Let's just pray quickly and then we're going we're gonna to finish. Lord, I thank you so much that each one of us can leave today confident that you care for us and confident that you are strong and mighty. Thank you for being this great shepherd of our souls, for loving us, Jesus, for giving yourself for us. But we thank you as well, and we want to just recognize that for ourselves, that well, we're the sheep. Uh, we are those being led by you, and we, we take that, we hear that. Parts of us would like to say, no, no, I'm autonomous. I've got my own thing worked out. Lord, we want to put our trust in you. We want to put our hope in you. Just right now, for those who have, that's just a struggle. You're like, I don't know how to do that. Either trusting that God is good or that uh, leadership is good. Just give you a moment to say to God, I, I'm, I need to change my mind on that. all of us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the good shepherd who is going to bring us home to be with him forever. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.